Marxism is everywhere. It is all around us. You can see it when you look out your window, or when you turn on your television. You can feel it when you go to work, when others are too afraid to speak their mind. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. I offer you a choice, a choice between two worlds. Take the blue pill and continue living in the world of complacency and indifference. Or take the red pill. Join us in a world where patriots come together to fight for freedom. What the elites don't want you to know is that there are 200,000 open committee man seats in the Republican Party. These party members are the ones who determine the future of the GOP. The precinct strategy will teach you what it takes to help elect America First candidates who share your love of country and a vision for a better America. Will you take the blue pill and continue living in a world where a corrupt few control everything? Or will you take the red pill and join us? Let's take our country back, one precinct at a time. Choose wisely. Your future depends on it. PrecinctStrategy.com now. Welcome back to another episode of the Professor Penn Podcast. David Penn here again. I'm happy to see you. I hope you're doing well. Look forward to chatting with you in the live chat. And uh, it's just uh, uh, worth rerunning this uh, Precinct Strategy ad for some period of time because this is about getting people involved however they choose to do it. I want to thank our platform, Free People Radio. Very much appreciate the opportunity to have the opportunity to speak with you. Uh, Tireget.com. Tireget.com for all your tire needs. And let's just think about this. This is truth media. We are seeking the truth. We're building a patriot economy, an economy that is based on supporting the businesses and people that support our movement. That's TireGet.com. You got to buy tires. It's not a happy day when you got to go buy tires. Uh, 14,000 different kinds of tires in stock, everything you need for tires. And when you choose to buy your tires at TireGet.com, you're supporting this movement, and that's critical. We need your support. You know, I realize there's a lot of grifters in the political world. I've seen it. I, I saw it when, uh, when uh, Royce White ran for Congress in uh, 2022. Uh, there was people that approached him to raise money for him. And uh, they wanted 85% of the donations and give 15% to the campaign. Royce actually said to him, wow, talking like that where I grew up, would get you shot. And uh, I thought that was pretty funny and pretty appropriate because the amount of robbing and stealing that goes on in the political world is profound. I don't want to say most of it. I don't know. I don't have the data. But there's so many people that use politics as a business purely to self-aggrandize themselves and to fat their wallet, as they say in China. That's a great Chinese statement. Uh, you know I'm going to fat my wallet. You know, that's not what we're doing here at Free People Radio, and that's not what our, our supporters, our advertisers are doing. This station and these podcasts and our advertisers, we're actually 
100% laser focused on turning this country back from going over the cliff and all of us as a population, citizens of the United States of America, becoming imprisoned by the digital, the digital currency, the World Health Organization, the United Nations, ideologies that block out any faith in God. We're working on this because we are all in with sacred honor, our lives, our fortunes, everything we have is involved in this. And I'm asking you, and I know you know because you're watching me how much time I put into preparing these podcasts and how serious I take this, I'm asking you to buy your tires from TireGet because it supports this channel. So thank you very much, people at TireGet. You'll like them. Give it a try. PrecinctStrategy.com, that ad. This is the place to go to get a tutorial about how to get in the game of politics. And, um, well, what could be more important than getting in the game of politics? We're on the verge of nuclear war, financial collapse. 85% of our fellow citizens are living hand-to-mouth, and 60% of our fellow citizens suffer from a chronic disease condition. We can do better. We will do better when we, the American citizens, come back into the game, recognize that our Constitution is set up for self-governance, self-governance, not abdicating our power to other people who obviously have given up on the social compact. Now, if we had elected leaders, elected representatives, who were cognizant of and loyal to the well-being of the people, well, maybe we could back off a little bit. Maybe that's what they could get to if we enforce upon them our will and let them know in no uncertain terms it's about well-being, 100% well-being, and most specifically about the well-being of our children. It all surrounds the children. I put in a motion in Minnesota to change the messaging of the Republican Party here in the Twin Cities. And the motion was very simple. Let's figure out communication and messaging around protecting our children. This can go into so many different dimensions. It goes into the dimension of life. It goes into the dimension of education, medicine, health and well-being, our educational system child sex trafficking and child slavery. There are so many issues around children. And even that I have to say this shows me, you know, we've lost our mind. We're living in a, in a, in a dark fantasy. The central idea of the Judeo-Christian heritage, the cornerstone, was the end of viewing children as inventory and start to view them as children of God. That is the central contribution of Judaism, the cornerstone contribution, and of course, Jesus Christ was a Jew. So Jesus Christ was in the line of Abraham. Abraham was the, the forefather, the founding father of what they call the Abrahamic religions. And with Abraham and Isaac, we established that children are precious. They're not to be sacrificed. And here we are in 2023, and there is more slavery today 
when slavery is allegedly illegal throughout the world, there's more slavery today than when it was legal. And there's more exploitation of children. There's more childhood illness. The whole thing goes on and on. So I put in this messaging, uh, protecting uh, our children, that CD3 Republicans protect your children, and I'm asking the party to develop a campaign around this, and we're going to have a vote on it Tuesday night, and I'm going to come back and report to you because, uh, you know, I'm going to be interested to see who wants to get on the other side of protecting children just because it comes from Professor Penn. That'll kind of smoke them out. And if they're smart enough not to take that bait, then we're actually going to have a new initiative of unity around the issue of protecting our children. I think it's great. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for creating the light and the dark. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for creating me in your image. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for making me an American. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for making me free. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for healing the blind. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for feeding the people. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for releasing the bound. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for raising up the downtrodden. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for creating the heavens and the earth. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for providing for all my needs. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for directing my path. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for our America and our courage. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for crowning America with glory. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for restoring strength to the weary. Thank you for joining me in that prayer. Uh, prayer is uh, underutilized. We're living in a secular society. We're living in a secular society. We're living in a new religion, humanism. It doesn't pray. It invests in science. It doesn't pray. It invests in more scientific development. And what's going to be the outgrowth of this scientific development? If we don't arrest this path, if we don't turn back from this path, the result's going to be the reduction of the human population in percentages that I can't even say it this morning. I'm in too good of a mood to contemplate these kind of um, genocides. Thank you for tolerating me having a drink. These people are eugenicists. We've been saying it over and over. We're going to keep saying it over and over. And I'm juxtaposing their eugenicism with prayer, with faith, with love and connectedness in our community. So on the one hand, we have a group of people that are dedicated to reducing the human population. In other words, they love the earth so much, they hate the people. <laughs> if we start saying that enough, like a t-shirt, I think people are going to figure out that's a scam. On the other hand, we have a creator who's granted us certain unalienable rights, 
those being life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness, and we got to choose. It's door A or door B. Door C is you don't choose, which means other people are going to choose for you. That's why I want you to go to precinctstrategy.com and get in the game. The choice is going to get made whether or not you vote with your will or not. This choice is getting made. How appropriate would it be for you, as I have done, to get involved in the game of politics? And I've placed my will into the equation. I, you know, I couldn't sit on the sidelines. Let's say you don't want to get involved in politics. You can write letters to your Congress people. You can write checks to the political uh, candidates of your choice or to this channel. You could uh, talk to your friends and neighbors, have a barbecue. You could send out this information, and we're going to make that easy for you because you're going to see a deluge coming into your feed as a subscriber of one-minute shorts and 10- to 15-minute clips. You know, I've created about 42 episodes, so that's about 60 hours of inventory. And now I have a social media digital team that's going to come in and start clipping those highlights out, and you'll see it. And if we flood this out into the world, a strategy of communication, wow, this could spread. Not only could it spread, it will spread if you spread it. So I want to thank you for, the, for your support and for participating in a political action strategy. Again, if you don't want to join the parties, great. There's so much you can do, but please, I implore you, at this time in world history, do something. Please do something. Well, without further ado, we have what we would call evidence of the highest nature of just how insane our elites are. And I know many of you have seen this. I just, I have to cover the news also. Now, I'm going to play a clip here, a Drums of War clip. This is the arrogance of Mike Pence. Remember Mike Pence, our former vice president? Tanner, can you play this clip with Tucker Carlson and Mike Pence? It's just incredible. I'm sorry, Mr. Vice President. Have you, I know you're running for president. You are, distra you. You are distressed notice. that the Ukrainians don't have enough American tanks. Every city in the United States has become much worse over the past three years. Yeah. Drive around. There's not one city that's gotten better in the United States. I and it's visible. Our economy has degraded. The suicide rate has jumped. Public filth and disorder and crime have exponentially increased. Right. And yet... Your concern is that the Ukrainians, a country most people can't find on a map, who've received tens of billions of U.S. tax dollars, don't have enough tanks. Right. I think it's a fair question to ask, like, where's the concern for the United States in that? Well, it's not my concern. <laughs> Tucker, I've heard that routine from you before, but that's not my concern. I'm running for president of the United States because I think this country's in a lot of trouble. Tanner, play it one more time. Hit me with it one more time, please. Everyone pay attention to this, because this, this, is, this is everything in a nutshell. One more time, please. I'm sorry, Mr. Vice President, have you, I know you're running for president. You are, distra you. You are distressed noticing. that the Ukrainians don't have enough American tanks. Every city in the United States has become much worse 
over the past three years. Yeah. Drive around. There's not one city that's gotten better in the United States. Right. And it's visible. Our economy has degraded. The suicide rate has jumped. Public filth and disorder and crime have exponentially increased. Right. And yet, your concern is that the Ukrainians, a country most people can't find on a map, who've received tens of billions of U.S. tax dollars, don't have enough tanks. Right. I think it's a fair question to ask, like, where's the concern for the United States in that? Well, it's not my concern. <laughs> Tucker, I've heard that routine from you before, but that's not my concern. That's good, Tanner. Tanner, you know I'm going to ask you to do me a favor for the next podcast. Remember how we did that loop with Congressman Ammer? Let's uh, highlight Vice President Pence with that kind of a treatment because this kind of a thing, um, that's not my concern. Well, what we've seen here now is everything we need to see. You know, asked and answered. You know, please step down, Vice President Pence. We've heard all we need to hear from you. <clears throat> I can only hope that his career is forever ruined. It was already ruined. And this is what I get back to about the business of politics. Now, actually, Pence is a wealthy guy. He's in the automotive business, his family, automotive parts business. He doesn't need the money. But he represents, he's a cog in a uniparty machine. And there's consultants and, you know, studios and, and uh, handlers, people that comb his hair. There's a whole group of people on the payroll. So when he runs for president and starts taking money in, all this churning of the inventory goes on, and all this money gets collected. I don't know who would donate money to Vice President Pence, but they're out there. Yes, I do know. You know what? I do. I spend time with them. Okay. But when, when, we, when we have Tucker Carlson go through a litany of the problems <clears throat> that we, the American people, are facing, and Pence's response is, I don't care. I, he's more focused on having a war in Europe than the ill health and the economic threat that plague the American citizens. This is a globalist. This guy is part of the New World Order. Look at his face. You know, when he was chosen by Trump, we knew he was a you know, kind of an establishment figure. And, you know, like any good soldier in the Army, he put on his uniform, his Trump uniform, and he, he, loyally, he loyally supported President Trump until the moment it was really important. And, you know, I want you to remember this, and you can go look it up. I knew there was something wrong with this guy. Now, you know, I'm going to share with you, this is where I get goofy, because I have my, my, uh, my goofiness. But if you remember when he had the debate, the vice presidential debate before the 2020 election, that fly kept landing on his head and wouldn't go away. And I thought to myself, this man is a rotting corpse that's drawing flies. I knew, I always knew he was no good. That made me really think he was no good. And I'm going to tell you again, this is me making up a story. This is just me sharing some of my own internal kind of BS. Because, I mean, because a fly landed on his head didn't make him a corpse. I was making up a story. But, boy, when the moment came, he was nowhere to be found, right, wrong, or indifferent. 
right, wrong, or indifferent. And now he's running for president because it's the business of politics. He's not running for president. He's running for king of the new world order. He doesn't care. It's not his concern what I'm going through. And I'm personally going through a very difficult time in my life, financially, because, hey, when you dump trillions of dollars into the economy <clears throat> during COVID and you cause a supply chain crisis and they knew exactly what they were doing, they caused a supply chain crisis and it caused tremendous inflation, tremendous inflation. Those of us that own businesses, the price went up like a rocket. We couldn't believe it. And then when the surge of the cash was over, the surge of the price increases were over. If you've noticed, inflation is coming down. You know, the, they don't tell you, you know, half the story has never been told, okay? Inflation is the good part of a disaster. That's the, that's the front side. The back side is deflation when the air comes out of the bubble. Everybody in the country is losing money if they're in the hard goods business, like I am. 37%, according to the Wall Street Journal, Professor Penn did not make this up. You can go look it up. The Wall Street Journal printed last week that 37% of American business is in default. Default meaning that they can't meet the covenants, and we've talked about that. They can't meet the rules. A covenant is between man and God. Not banks acting like God, but between man and God. That's a covenant. But 37% of businesses cannot meet their rules that they agreed to when they signed their lending agreements. 37%. 37%. That means that downstream here a little ways, a lot of businesses are going to go out of business. When you run the costs up crazily, cause huge inflation purposefully, they did it on purpose. You know, this is another thing I want to keep delving into. Our natural naivete tells us these things happen by accident. That is us being trusting people. Actually, they violate our trust. They created the inflation purposefully to cause the deflation because most of the businesses that are going to go broke are American citizen-owned businesses that support the patriot movement. They're breaking us. They're cutting the cash off to the very people that support these kind of podcasts. Because if there's no money to support it, all you're going to have is mainstream security state news. And that's their goal. That's their goal. So please support the patriot economy. Go to tireget.com. Go to the advertisers on this channel. Go to small business and support them because they're hurting now. They're losing their ass because just as fast as things went up in price, they're going down in price, which means everybody's inventory is hugely overvalued. That means they're losing money. Help the people that want to help you. I'm helping the people that want to help me. Let's do it together as a team. But this Mike Pence, geez, mercy. Geez, I mean, come on. It's not his concern. This is all you need to know about establishment politicians, Democrat or Republican. 
Now remember, I'm not supposed to criticize another Republican even by inference. Well, up yours. Up yours. This requires criticism. In fact, this requires the end of Mike Pence's tenure as a professional politician. Let him go back to Indiana. Let him go back to his family business where he's very wealthy. Doesn't have to worry about it like you and me. He's already over the hump, okay? Over the hump. Doesn't have a financial concern in the world. That's why he's a professional politician. Doesn't have to worry about making a living like you do. Doesn't have to worry about what's going on. This really pisses me off. I'm getting angry right in front of you. Because this kind of an attitude, that it's not his concern, it's the only thing our politicians need to be concerned about, the well-being of the American people. That's it. There are no other concerns. You know, he's not even concerned about the Ukrainian people because they're getting killed big time. Update on the Ukrainian drama. <laughs> the Russians are the Russians are the Russians are pulling the clothes off of the New World Order. Turns out American weaponry is not working very well over there. It's very complicated, breaks down very easily. Very easily. It's not having its intended effect. And the Russians, in my opinion, are winning this war, which is only drawing more and more investment, quote-unquote investment, from the 33 countries that are supporting the Ukrainians. The ante's going up all the time. The ante's going up. These F-16s are going in there, nuclear-capable F-16s. Hey, we're getting close to a nuclear war. Let me say again, please go to your elected representatives website there'll be a portal that will take you to a way to communicate with them please write them a short email don't swear don't threaten because the fbi will show up i do not support my government's continued involvement with arms and material in the ukraine Please pay attention to my district. That's all you got to say. You know, if they got a million emails like that today, this war would come to a screeching, grinding halt. And in fact, I think it's going to come to an end because number one, the West is running out of ammunition. And number two, their weapons aren't working. And it's very embarrassing that their ground weapons are relatively ineffective against the Russian army. So they need to draw an end to this, or the ineptitude of the military is going to be reve revealed, somewhat like the ineptitude of the Republican Party is being revealed. There's a relationship here. We'll work on it in the future. Let us hope that uh, Tucker Carlson is putting a decal on his airplane because he shot down Mike Pence and Mike Pence is finished. Because we got to start taking some of these people out. And I don't mean physically. If you're watching me, of course, I, this is metaphor for ideologically retiring people.
that hold on to ideas that are reprehensible. This man is reprehensible to say something like this. Oh, let me rephrase. I don't know if the man's reprehensible. I don't want to say that. Too far. Personal opinion, I think he's reprehensible. I always didn't like him. However, his ideas are reprehensible, certainly. Let us not wrap ourselves in the cloth of faith and then support the mass slaughter of God's children. Let me say this again. Let us not wrap ourselves in the cloth of faith and then support the mass slaughter of God's children. Do we all get it? Because, you know, this is the way things have gone down for a long time, and it's wrong. We've got to set this straight. We've got to set this straight in our new party. We're going to vary up the schedule a little bit, Tanner, because we're talking about taking out people, and I don't mean physically taking them out. Let's say this again. I don't mean taking them out physically. I mean getting them off the stage of politics so they can do no further damage to the health and well-being of the American people. Play The Wicked Witch is Dead, please. Let the joyous news be spread, the wicked old witch at last is dead.
Tanner, have you seen The Wizard of... Good, I'm glad to see that. You know, I'm bringing this up because uh, if you heard that one part, morally, ethically, spiritually, dad, that's what we want to do with ideas, as Mike Pence expressed. We have to get this out of our system completely. And I want to report and tell you a story. Because I serve in... uh, the Minnesota GOP as an officer, and I, you know, I've, I've made this statement. I, I loyal, loyally, loyally tried to serve this party for as long as I could, and they rejected me. <laughs> I guess uh, truth was not something they wanted to deal with. And I've had these people that, you know, I just look at them and I go, wow, have you ever read a book? I, I wonder about that, but I'm going to tell you a story, and it's a true story. not going to mention any names. People that are watching me that know this story are going to know the name, but I don't think I'm violating any moral or ethical or legal issues to tell a story without identifying a person. You know, I I, uh, I started this political movement up here in Minnesota that I'm involved in, and I, I'm not proud I'm a leader. Uh, I just tell people, if you, you know, if you think you're a leader, look behind and see if anybody else is involved. Then, you know, if you're leading something, and I've got a lot of people that are involved with me. And for all the people that are watching that I can't keep up with, like my friend in northern Minnesota who watches me, who is so important to me, we're going to get everybody together. It's just right now we're involved in a very significant series of negotiations here in uh, CD3. And, uh, you know, I'm working tirelessly, and I have to tell you, I'm tired for the first time in my life because my brain never gets a chance to rest. And that's why I think that prayer is so important, restoring strength to the weary. I feel strength in talking to you, and I want to thank you because your prayers and your involvement with me, you know, ennobles me, enlightens me, lifts me up, and I really feel it right now. And I'm going to tell a very, very important story. And life is about stories, right? Politics is about stories. And I started this movement... uh, in a coffee shop by myself. And I was joined by a fellow uh, brother of the spear. We drank coffee and we talked politics and we said to each other, if we keep doing this, more people will join. And they did. And they did. And we started having a an every Saturday morning at 7 a.m. meeting at a local hotel where we would sit and it, you know, it was four people, eight people. Pretty soon it was like 20 people. Pretty Some of these people are still involved in the movement. Some went away, but some of them have become the, the kind of the hardcore of this movement. And uh, I'm always inviting new people. And I invited a um, Republican Party officer uh, to come visit. It was a woman, someone that I was going to have to work with, and we didn't know each other, and she had a lot of trepidations about working with me because I, you know, I had a reputation. I don't know what reputation. I believe in God, and I'm doing everything I can to bring more Republicans into the party so that we can save the republic. You know, I don't know what other reputation there could be. <laughs> I can imagine, but that's that's the truth, right? And she came and she brought a friend of hers with. And we were sitting around a table. It was a square table. It's like I said, about 20 people there. And because Royce White 
is a very important uh, young figure in the movement. He was sitting in, uh, there as the head man. And we were all talking, and I made some kind of comment about God. It wasn't a specific comment. It wasn't even like I was praying. I just used the word God. And this other woman that I didn't even know who she was, didn't know her name, never seen her before. She interrupted me and she said, is that a litmus test? And I, I said, litmus test? There's no litmus test at this table. This is a table of American citizens that are having a discussion about politics. And she looked at Royce and pointed her bony finger at him like this and said, the reason I'm pro-abortion is because people like you abandon your children. And we were all kind of sitting close to her because we were meeting her. And the whole table went back like it was an orchestrated dance. We were shocked. I have to be frank and say, I gapped out. I was so stunned. It was a, it's what you would call a non sequitur. Nobody expected this. We weren't talking about abortion. Uh, one of the hardcore members of this uh, group tells me that he went after her and chastised her for her comments. I can't remember it. I mean, it stripped my gears. That level of overt racism expressed on a personal level between two American citizens, it stunned me. This was quite a while ago. Maybe it was certainly over a year ago. It might have been almost two years ago. And I actually served with this person on a, in the Republican Party. And, uh, you know, I've been noticing every time I talk, she makes faces and mutters under her breath. And I've been tolerating it for, I don't know, months. But as we're getting closer to the election cycle, as we stand on the verge of nuclear war, currency collapse, my fellow citizens are living hand to mouth, and 60% of my fellow citizens are chronically ill. I'm losing my patience for that kind of disrespect because I will listen to anyone respectfully. Democrat, communist, doesn't bother me. You know, we're a community of American citizens. We need to talk to each other. You know, von Clausewitz, I've talked about this, was a German military historian. He said, war is politics by other means. So by inverse, politics is war by other means. The other means is listening to each other. Because as soon as we stop listening and there's no rules, we go right to war. And I have to tell you, it got to me this past week. Got to me. And I looked at her. And I, I gave her a what fur. And she looked at me and she said, are you going to talk to me like this? I said, you talk like this? Yes, I am. Because the time has come for the racists and the anti-Semites to get out of the Republican Party. The American Nazi Party is right down the block. If you're holding racist and anti-Semitic views like this human being was, you got to go because we're never going to get this republic saved if there's no place for the good people trapped in the inner city plantations to come. They have to have permission. They have to be welcomed and loved. And how can you be loved by people that hate you? These people are, they're really out of step with 2023. 
And I have to say, ding dong, the wicked witch is dead. Because the next morning she resigned. She resigned. She went away. She's gone. History. Many more are going to resign. It's starting to dawn on them that there is a lot of American citizens getting involved in politics. The ideology that holds one race superior and another inferior, it's time to end has come. We're American citizens. We're all created equal. And that is the truth that is going to ring out from sea to shining sea from north to south, from east to west, in every little town, on every highway, on every dirt road. We're going to root out this inequity because the time of change is upon us. I feel very good about this wicked witch leaving. Number one, she didn't like me, which is like having a mosquito flying around my head. I had no feelings about her. But she really let me know she didn't like me. I don't care. A lot of people don't like me. Don't like me, but be respectful about it. Don't like me, but follow Robert's rules of order. Don't like me, but live in the Constitution, lest we end up in war, which is politics by other means. And I hope we all want to avoid that, don't we? Don't we want to avoid violence? I do. And how do we avoid how do we avoid violence? Dialogue, discourse, composition, and knowing when your time has come to retire. Like Mike Pence. Tucker Carlson retired him. Tucker Carlson set him up, and Pence stuck his foot right in his mouth. Now he was already retired, but hopefully he can't even get a speaking engagement from now on. So stupid was that comment that the American people are not his concern. Hey, you know what? Up yours, Mike Pence, and to the Wicked Witch of the West, up yours too. Go slink away to your racist little corner and live out your life, and hopefully you will repent because I will forgive you as I wish to be forgiven. Isn't it great for all the other people that are holding these views? This is a good example for you. Just resign. And for all the people that are pleading for unity, unity, as if that's some magic word that's going to motivate me to support a center that is based on slavery, drugs, and piracy, and that holds one race superior and another inferior. No, we're not unifying over that idea. Forget about it. You want to unify? I'm all for unification around the well-being of American citizens. If you want to unify around a message that is 100% focused on the well-being of each and every American citizen, starting with my next-door neighbor, if that's where you want to go, hey, we got a chance for some unity. I bet some Democrats will want to participate in that. Right? I mean, who's going to get on the other side of well-being? or protecting our children. You want to take a vote and not vote for protecting our children? Hey, go ahead. I'm sure that's a long future in politics for you when you start voting against protecting our children. 
We'll see how this all comes out. It's a really interesting drama. And when we talk about protecting our children, we talk about protecting our children. Wow. You know, there's so many dimensions to this. I'll tell you one dimension. We feed them to kill them. That's right. We feed them to kill them. Tanner, can you play this Jardians ad, please? I have type 2 diabetes, but I manage it well. It's a little pill with a big story to tell. I take one daily Jardians. works 24-7 in your body to flush out some sugar. And for adults with type 2 diabetes and known heart disease, Jardians can lower the risk of cardiovascular death, too. Jardians may cause serious side effects, including ketoacidosis that may be fatal, dehydration that can lead to sudden worsening of kidney function, and genital yeast or urinary tract infections, a rare life-threatening bacterial infection in the skin of the place? Okay, this is a Jardian set. Can you put it back up? Just that one scene, please? Okay. Now, I'm going to give you a personal story because I know some of you out there are overweight. And I want to cry about this because guess what? Professor Penn, when he was young, was very heavy. In fact, I used to hate going to the store with my mom to buy uh, clothes for school because I was a 36-inch waist when I was in fifth grade. I want you to think about that. Fifth grade with a 36-inch waist. I got a 30, maybe 32 or 33-inch waist now. I was so unhealthy. And my parents, who were, you know, I made this comment. They gave up their faith and they uh, threw in with the scientific method. And uh, I was really savaged by the medical system as a young child. If they could give me something that made me sick later in my life, hey, they did it. And I paid for it. Look at this woman. Now, if you're overweight, I'm telling you, I was overweight, grotesquely overweight. I, I was not an athlete at all, not an athlete at all. Oh, I was a nationally known violin player as a, you know, as a youth violinist. I mean, I played all over the country. I was one of the best students in my high school, but I wasn't involved in athletics, and my family didn't want me to be. And I woke up one day and I said, my goodness gracious, I'll tell you, I'm going to go a little farther with this. I discovered Soul Train on television. Any of you remember Soul Train? We should probably play some outtakes of Soul Train. This was a big deal in the 60s. And, uh, you know, we we finally had uh, black people getting onto television when I was a young kid, like Michael Jackson, you know, like... um, Aretha Franklin, these people were creeping in. They were creeping in at the edges on shows that you don't have, you've never heard of them, like the Ed Sullivan Show. Have you ever heard of the Ed Sullivan Show? Why, of course not. You know, this, this is stuff that is, uh, you know, unless you're a little long in the tooth, you have no idea what I'm talking about. Because before, at the beginning of television, there was no black people on television at all. Zero. It was like black people didn't exist. Because as a matter of fact, in that segregated society, they didn't exist. They did not exist. That's why I'm so glad that the Wicked Witch is gone. Because a lot of people my age are still holding on to that kind of goofy thinking 
that, you know, America's about lily white Protestantism. As uh, that's not Professor Penn saying it, that's uh, George Romney in the 1964 Republican convention. We've been thinking about this as a party for a long time, okay? A long time. And we're not making a lot of progress. We're going to make a lot of progress really quickly now. So I was sitting on the couch, probably having a corned beef sandwich and weighing about, oh, I don't know, 200 pounds in fifth grade. And I started watching Soul Train. And these, I mean, I couldn't move my body at all, at all, at all. And I thought to myself, what, what kind of deal is this? Who are these people that can move so? This is beautiful. Oh, and then I started seeing Bruce Lee. Look at that. Holy moly, look at that. How do people do? I couldn't walk and chew bubblegum at the same time. And I resolved myself in eighth grade that I was going to become a superb athlete and in perfect condition. I resolved it. I took an oath to myself. Now, if you're overweight, I really understand this struggle. In fact, I'm trying to lose a little bit of weight right now. I get it. I felt it. I feel the pain and the shame. I've been there. So please let me say to you, take a look at how the drug industry is advertising for adult onset diabetes medication. Birth and death. A series of diagnostic codes and a series of revenue streams that go upstream, uphill to the top of the pyramid. And what comes down? Sugar. Candy. Unhealthy everything. Everything's unhealthy that we eat. The whole food system. You know, it's almost like we should burn it down and rebuild it. Maybe in our own backyards. Like we're in, in my house, our family, we're growing our own vegetables this summer. And boy, they taste really good. Really good because, you know, we know that they're healthy. And it took a little bit of work to, to grow them. I feel sorry for this woman. She has adult onset diabetes. It's very often, not always, I understand not always, but it's very often associated with a certain kind of dietary lifestyle that generates a certain kind of strain on the cells of the body, the aisles of Langerhans over time. They stop producing efficiently because they've been asked to overproduce. And, uh, you know, I just suffer. Can you take that down? I just suffer seeing this. Uh, diabetes, uh, we talked about this, and I wanted to get specific about the projections about it. The number of people worldwide with diabetes is projected to more than double in the next three decades, reaching 1.3 billion by 2050, according to research published in The Lancet. The researchers found that 529 million people had diabetes in 2021. According to data from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, more than 37 million people in the United States have diabetes. Diabetes is a chronic disease that develops when a person's blood sugar glucose level is too high. Ideally, the body converts most of the food you eat into glucose and releases it into your bloodstream and your pancreas 
releases insulin, a hormone, to help get the glucose into your cells for energy. For people who have diabetes, however, the body may take may make little or no insulin, type 1 diabetes, or may not make or use insulin properly, type 2, leaving too much glucose in the bloodstream. Well, type 1, that's childhood diabetes, that's a completely different disease. This type 2 diabetes, and I realize there's variability in here and there's genetic components, but it's a lifestyle choice. It's a lifestyle choice that comes when a society puts profit before people. Profit before people. When our schools put all kinds of agendas ahead of the well-being of our children. That's why I said Republicans are going to protect our children. And it's, you know, FIAD, physical education, is not running around playing games. It's about learning how to use your body like like the, like the God-given machine it is to maintain it, to strengthen it, so that it serves us for a lifetime in health and well-being. Our cells are alive. We treat them like they're uh, repositories of, every time I swear, bleep it out. We treat our bodies like shit, okay? And then we sit there surprised when things break down, and then we go to the doctor, we get a diagnostic code and a drug to treat that diagnostic code. Right now, today, 529 million people are feeding this. Money goes uphill and sh comes downhill, okay? So this is self-inflicted in large part. And, you know, I wish I had time and the resources to work with every one of you if you're struggling with overweight. This is something that we can pray for. We can thank God for restoring our well-being. We don't have to be specific about it. We can thank God for giving us the health and the strength to restore our well-being. And we can just keep saying it over and over again. We pray always with all prayer about the things we need. And we start to focus on it because most diseases of later life have some association with overweight. And yet we're chronic, as a society, we're chronically overweight. I feel much better when I'm empty. I, I don't, I, when I, I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to just share with you. I don't eat before I do these podcasts because I, I think better. My, my system runs better when I'm empty. There's so many things we can talk about well-being, and I'm, I'm certainly going to share them with you over time. But I'm doing this today just, number one, I promised the actual data. I looked it up in the last podcast. The number of people worldwide with diabetes is projected to more than double in the next three decades, reaching 1.3 billion by 2050. I'll tell you how we disconnect that, how we circumvent that, how we, how we short-circuit that. We get control of the Republican Party, and we make it about well-being, and we change the way we feed the people, because we feed the people to make them sick. And when I say we, it's us. It's our country. It's our culture. It doesn't belong to anybody else but us, we the people. We have a culture and a politics that makes us ill intentionally. That's the key. It parasitizes our normal human appetites. I don't want anybody to feel bad.
because of what I'm saying. I am also a victim of this at the highest order. Hey, we got all kinds of different appetites, and they vary. You know, sugar is just one. Salt is another. Fat is another. We don't have a culture which teaches our children. It doesn't protect our children and help our children develop the resources to find balance with all these different appetites. And that's what life is all about. It's about finding balance. So the politics that I'm advocating and the politics that is being so thoroughly rejected by the local Republican establishment, they hate me. It's about well-being. How can they reject this? I mean, I'm just stunned by it. So we're going to try to give them a chance. I put forward this motion that CD3 Republicans protect your children. Let's figure out how to message it, and let's work on it together as a group. We don't all have to agree on every jot and tittle of policy. Can we agree about protecting our children? And can we come up with some messaging for the Republican Party that transcends low taxes and low regulation? Because what we're saying is when we use that messaging is that we're communists because everything to us is about materialism. And that's not what our party is. Our party is the party of Lincoln. Our party is the party of human freedom. And what could be more well-being orientated or more well-being bestowing on the American people than freedom? Lincoln had the insight that slavery made both the slave and the enslaver ill, sick spiritually sick, physically sick. He said, we have to free our country from the slavery part of this business model or we're going to be ill. And he did it. He did it. That's our party. We are the party of human well-being. Low taxes and low regulation is trite and inconsequential compared to human well-being. We need new messaging. And I've kicked the ball down the field to see if anybody wants to play with it. And if they don't, they don't. That's the beauty of politics. We're not going to go to war over this. I just want to see who wants to vote in the local party to protect the well-being of our children and who wants to vote against protecting the well-being of our children. It'll be a very interesting vote. And for the, you know, my antagonists, Mr. We-don't-do-that-here, Mr. History Doesn't Matter, and Mr. We Don't Need Any More Republicans, hey, two of you are going to have to take a vote on this. I'm looking forward to seeing if you put your hand up or not. Because guess what? On the next podcast, I'll be making a report. Popes and racists. Popes and racists. Popes and racists. Let's go back in history now. We've talked about the future. We're in the present. You know, part of being well is being in the present. I'm focused on the well-being of the people today. I'm saying the racists have to leave the party today. And then we know in the future, the well-being of the people will be enhanced when we get rid of the globalists, the eugenicists, the racists, the anti-Semites. You know, these people, these people are blockers to the well-being of the people. When they're gone, 
well-being will increase. Love will increase. Goodness will increase. Something I've been thinking about a lot. We're living in a world with a lot of evil. Want to defeat evil? I'm going to be good. As good as I can be, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. I realize that my own addiction to evil allows evil to flourish inside of me. That's how evil increases. One person at a time. That's right. I'm responsible to be good and I'm responsible to be evil. And that's what religion's all about. That's what faith's all about. It was what our law was all about. And for those of us who thought we could do it in a secular, humanist kind of way, it didn't work. It's a failed experiment. So Einstein said, you know, if you do the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result, you're insane. Let us all agree that secular humanism has failed. We're going to have to restore. Huh, it's very simple what we have to restore. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Endowed by their creator. It's right in our founding documents. So, uh, popes and racists. You know, the, the, uh, the church, Catholic church, in the time I have left today, I'm going to talk about this, not in any kind of an effort to bash on Catholics. I bash plenty on Protestants, you know, like Bill the Butcher. And I'm not doing this because I'm Jewish. I can bash on the Jews, too. Everybody takes a turn in the box here at the Professor Penn podcast. I'm holding back my, my deepest criticism for my own community because I don't want to get deplatformed for one thing. You know, <laughs> RFK, he, uh, he's running for the nomination in the Democrat Party, and he just talked about some research which, se which seems to indicate that COVID-19 targets uh, whites and blacks and is less virulent among Asians and Ashkenazi Jews. And he said it and he was on tape, and now they're saying he's an anti-Semite. Come on, it's scientific research. I and mean, we can't even we can't even we can't even have a dialogue. I mean, this this is horrifying. But you know, you go back over the history of the church, where did the church start? It started in the old country. Christ was a Jew, and so was everybody that was hanging around with him. So for all the people that may have forgot this, because I realize. It's not something that some of our sects highlight. In fact, in fact, sometimes there's been an effort to suppress the idea that Christ was a Jew. He's so thoroughly Jewish that when I read the New Testament, the words he spoke jump off the pages at me because I can feel it. And so was Paul and Peter. Oh, and Judas was a Jew too. Yes. This is an inner Jewish thing we're dealing with here. And uh, what is the church? The church is the, the, the new party. That's the new party, like we're trying to start the new Republican Party. The, the church, the Catholic church, was the new party. That was Judaism rebranded, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. For those of you that would like some evidence, go look it up. It's right in there. It all... Well, it's all written down. 
And uh, the church, the church is an interesting animal, and there's a lot of ways to see things and talk about things. And, you know, we talk about the Holy Roman Empire. I kind of think that's a scam. And I don't kind of think, I'm sure it was a scam. It wasn't holy. It was an empire, kind of like America. We kind of think we're special. Hey, we're running an empire. As soon as you give over to empire, you're no longer special. You're tyrannical. Empire and tyranny go together like hand and glove. Self-governance and well-being go together like hand and glove. Can't have both. I don't know why I didn't make the world. I'm just an observer of the way energy works. Once you go down that empire route, the people suffer. Once you go down the self-governance route, the people are well. It's the way it works. It's natural law, just like certain unalienable rights, life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. The Catholic Church aligned itself with the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire wrapped itself in the flag of faith no differently than Mike Pence wraps himself in the flag of faith or in the cloth of faith and then says the most unfaithful kind of things like, that's not, the well-being of the American people are not my concern. Oh, really? Well, I'm not here to judge his faith, but that was a faithless statement. I'm going to judge that statement, that one sentence. Okay, that's in disharmony with dedicating yourself to faith, because when you dedicate yourself to faith, you're dedicated to peace and love and the well-being of the people around you. So the church, the Catholic Church, aligned itself with the uh, Roman Empire. And because we only have so much time left, I can't go through all of the different phases of this. But at the end, we found the church aligned with the kings and queens of Europe, you know, was the divine right of the king. So the church was in collusion. That's the word I'm using collusion with the royal families to control the people with religion to maintain the business model of the colonizer and the enslaver, slavery, drugs, and piracy. Hey, we didn't think that up here. Remember I said we became infected by European ideology? Yes, we did. And the Catholic Church, the Catholic Church actually ran into a, uh, you know, a revolt because it was aligned with uh, the, the, the royal crown families, the crown royals or the royals, not nice people the way they dealt with the populace. They weren't concerned about the well-being of the people. They were concerned about their business model. And the church functioned as the propaganda arm, much like the media today. And if you think about it, there was no media then. The media was going to church on Sunday. They built these wonderful cathedrals. People were living in huts. And they came down to town on Sunday, and they went to these phenomenal cathedrals, and the priest told them the way it was. Read them the good news. Read them the good news. And if they just did the right thing, they just did the right thing. They were going to go to heaven. Whoa, people started protesting this thing. 
Martin Luther being among the first that codified the protest, and we had Protestants and Catholics and Protestants. We had the divine right of kings, and then we had this whole mechanism of rejecting the royal families. And how was that done? Well, communism, Karl Marx. Can't get too into this today. Just trying to hit some broad strokes. The Catholics, the Catholics found themselves in many circumstances not living very good lives in their home countries. Many of them wanted to come to the United States where they ran into the pre-existing structures set up by the Protestants who had come before them. Some came to practice their religion. Many came to enjoy piracy, drugs, and slavery in a new land. A new start. Hey, you know what? It was a new franchise. You always want to be first to take over a territory. You know, it's good eating. So, the church, the Catholic Church, found itself in the United States really oppressed by the Protestants that had come before them. Like the Ku Klux Klan had equal ire for the Catholics that it did for the Jews and the blacks. The Catholics, the Jews, and the blacks found themselves all together. Everybody was on the same team. It was called the, we're going to discriminate against you bench. And then an interesting thing happened. The Nazi Pope. You know, the church already had a predisposition to uh, marginalize the Jews the same way the Jews have a predisposition to marginalize Christ, you know, hand in glove. Didn't like each other. And uh, the church really was had a lot of anti-Semitism in it for obvious reasons. Because, you know, Jesus was killed by, allegedly by a, not allegedly, I mean, it's a pretty clear he was killed by a, by a Jewish community, let's say it that way. Now, I know the Jews are going to say the Romans killed him. You know, that, that's not historically accurate. Yeah, they tacked him up on the cross, but remember, the crowd said, give us Barabbas and let Jesus die on the cross. They could have said, give us Jesus because, you know, there was a chance to set him free. And they chose to take Barabbas instead of Christ. So, you know, let's not try to get off the hook on this one, uh, brothers of the tribe, brothers of the spear. We're not off the hook. We had a chance to pardon Christ, and we sent him to his death. And nah, the Romans tacked him up. Well, the Romans weren't so nice. They had, their, they had their empire working. And the Catholic Church, you know, they remembered that Barabbas bit. And they had a lot of anti-Semitism. But when they were in this country, in the New World, they were discriminated against by the Protestants who had come before them because the Protestants didn't like the Catholic Church because it was the media arm of the crown and the monarch. So they came over here and they had their whole new thing going. And here we had the Catholics and the Jews and the blacks in the sin bin. They were, they were cut out of the action. And then we had the, we talked about it last time, we had the Nazi Pope. The Nazi Pope the Nazi Pope, who aligned himself with fascism uh, for the uh, survival and uh, viability of the Catholic Church. But it came naturally to him because he was a natural anti-Semite and a natural racist. And, you know, like I say, they write things down 
If you're Catholic, I'm not beating on Catholics. I, you know, I've been to dozens and dozens and hundreds of Catholic masses. So, I mean, I, I'm pretty familiar with how it goes down there. And, um, well, that Nazi Pope, when the Allies entered Rome in World War II, he met with the senior Allied generals and he said, glad you're here. No black people in Rome, please. No black soldiers. That's kind of dispositive evidence of racism. And there's an equally amount of dispositive evidence that he was an anti-Semite, a real anti-Semite. And that anti-Semitism of the church in Rome spread. And it gave the Catholics in the United States a basis to get off of that sin bin bench, sin bin bench, where they were sitting with the Jews and the blacks. They didn't like it there. After all, they were better than Jews and blacks, right? They had a they had a new platform to rise up and distinguish themselves in American society from the Jews, specifically, and the blacks by extension. We had a series of very prominent Irish Catholics that rose up in this country in the ni- in the 1900s that advanced this idea of anti-Semitism as a way to get the Catholic community out of that sin bin. And we talked about the first one was Father Coughlin, Irish. We also talked about, and I'm going over this again because it's so critical, because we've got to root this racism and anti-Semitism out of our political movement so we can really concern ourselves with the well-being of the people. And I hope I'm I'm an example to anyone that is holding on to some racist ideas or anti-Semitic ideas that they're, you know, sometimes misfounded. You gotta talk to people and find out who they are and what they really believe. So the the first one was Father Coughlin. We we played a little bit of his his action. He was Irish. The Irish were obviously anti-British. You know, we you can look it up. There was a long period of struggle between the British and the Irish, and the Irish wanted to align themselves more with the Germans in the hopes that if the Germans won, Ireland could become an independent and free nation and throw off the control of the British crown. So it was natural for Irish Catholics in the United States to be isolationist, as Father Coughlin was, as Senator McCarran was, who made that crazy, another Irish Catholic, Democrat, who made that comment that, um, made that comment that, um, you know, some of these comments were so terrible. McCarran ran an entire anti-immigration, anti-Jewish platform in his many years in the Senate, and he associated Judaism with Bolshevism, with communism. And again, there's truth to that because the Jews were trying to overthrow the crowd. But he was was virulently anti-Semitic. An elected senator, Irish Catholic, Irish Catholic. And there was more. And, the uh, you know, so first we had Coughlin, and we had McCarran, but the one people really remember, and I'm going to have to ask Tanner. Tanner, do you know the name Joe McCarthy? Familiar, but he doesn't really know. What we're going to get into it today in the last 
15 minutes that we have together. Because Joe McCarthy, and the reason we're going through this is previous populist movements like the one we're in today get discredited by the elites as being anti-Semitic and racist. Do you get it? I'm asking you to get this. That if we're going to run our populist movement to save our families, that's what we're doing. We're trying to save ourselves. And we're going to give the elites, the globalists, an easy shot at this by being racist and anti-Semitic. They're going to derail us. Because remember, we're in the movement. The globalists are in their movement. And there's a lot of people in the middle that really are taking their politics, as Royce Weiss says, fast food politics. They're not really paying a lot of attention to it. We want them to. That's why we're going to get you these shorts and these clips and ask you to send them to your friends and neighbors. But really, they're not paying that close of attention. And they don't want racism, and they don't want anti-Semitism. So when we jump up in the movement, looking anti-Semitic and racist, boy, that does not help me keep my family alive. And that's why we're talking about the Protestant, anti-Catholics, Bill the Butcher, the Know-Nothings, the the, the, the Whigs that were the undergirding of the modern Republican Party, and now we're going to a new party. And then we have this Catholic movement where we, we had this influence of this anti-Semitic, you know, Catholic hierarchy that culminated in the Nazi Pope, Pope Pius, who was the Pope during World War II, and it spawned this kind of anti-Semitic Irish Catholic movement in the United States, first Coughlin, McCarran, and let's just play a little bit of Joe McCarthy here. Could you play uh, Joe McCarthy, uh, Face the Nation, just so we get a look at this guy? Today on the CBS Public Affairs program, Face the Nation. Through the eyes of this television camera, Senator Joseph R. McCarthy, Republican of Wisconsin, with correspondents across the country questioning him. Live from Indianapolis, New York City, and also here in Washington. Here's the moderator of Face the Nation, Ted Koop. How do you do? And welcome to Face the Nation. Senator McCarthy, on the eve of this historic special session of the United States Senate, called to debate a motion to censor you, millions of Americans are wondering what it's all about. To direct their questions to you, our panel of newsmen is now assembled nearly halfway across the continent. Here in Washington are William H. Lawrence of the New York Times and William Hines, Jr. of the Washington Star. Standing by nearly 800 miles away in Indianapolis is Jep Cadu, Indiana manager of International News Service with a question of interest in the Midwest. Come in, Jep Cadu. Cadu. Senator McCarthy, Several weeks ago, you predicted that the United States Senate would censor you, and several days ago, Roy Kuhn told us in Indianapolis that the cards were stacked against you. Uh, how do you feel about that now, and uh, uh, if you feel the same way, uh, why, Senator? The Democrats, I believe, will go pretty much down the line on this, and the so-called liberal, I put liberal in quote, Republicans will go along with them. I think they've got plenty of votes to uh, do it. In fact, I was talking to one of my Democrat friends the other day. He told me very frankly he was going to vote for censure. He said, not because of the silly reasons given by the Wat Watkins committee. He said, but because you 
labeled the Democrat Party as the Party of Communism. You issued an open invitation during the Army McCarthy hearings for people to continue to supply you with information. That's right. Regardless of its stamping. Are you getting uh, new information from people in this administration Bill, on let that me, basis? Let me change your question a bit. I invited them to give information of wrongdoing, graft, corruption, communism. I am continuing to get uh, that information. Getting documents, too? Yes. Mm -hmm. Are you getting any more as a result of your appeals than you got beforehand? Mm, has there been a flow build up as a result of that? It's pretty hard to say whether it has increased or decreased. I've been so busy being investigated and preparing for this uh, uh, lynch bee starting tomorrow that I haven't had to, uh, an opportunity to... You call That's a meeting of the United States Senate a lynch bee? Well, let's call, yes. it, let's call it the uh, censure... Uh, no, but I'm interested meeting. in this because the Senate's an institution of government. It's part of the Congress. Well, okay, let's, let's answer it, Bill. Let's, let's answer it, Bill. Let's do. The, the, there are a great number of the Democrats who have indicated uh, in private conversations that they will censure McCarthy, not because of what is in the Watkins report, because of uh, I've labeled them as the party of communism, even though I have always pointed out that there are millions of Democrats who are good, loyal Americans and many office holders here in Washington who are anti-communist. But there are those who feel that they should censure me, not for, not because I cross-examined Zwicker trying to find out of, but a communist whom he promoted, honorably discharged. There, there are some Republicans who feel likewise. Now, I, I consider that, uh, yes, that's, that's a lynching bee. Well, this is an orderly when, when, assembly. When they're, when they're not, when they're not, when they're not uh, basing their vote upon the... Uh, uh, counts set forth when they base their vote upon political reasons when they say ahead of time. In effect, regardless of what the evidence says, this man has been fighting communism. He's been showing that over 20 years the Democrat Party has been infiltrated. Therefore, we're going to get him. Well, now, Senator... I, th I think a lynching bee is a good name for it, Bill. Senator... I want to say, going into the last few minutes here, that... Uh, Historians are unclear as to whether or not McCarthy was an anti-Semite. There's a lot of information and a lot of scholarship that says he was a terrible anti-Semite. And there's other, you know, cross-currents where it's saying, nah, not really. Not the point. The point is, was that Jews were heavily involved in the Democrat Party and in media. And they viewed his comments as being a threat to them. And we'll go more into the McCarthy era because it has so much in common with the era we're in right now where people's lives were ruined by inference, allegation, by the choices that they'd made as free American citizens at earlier parts of their lives. Uh, McCarthy was discredited, but listen to what he said. He said the Democrat Party is the party of the communists. He said it in the 50s. Turns out, he was right. You know, it's like me saying George Wallace was right. It's hard to even say it. But he was right. Why didn't he make it? Why we, did we not arrest this process, <coughs> excuse me, back in the 50s when it was so clearly identified? And that's because there was a, a, an overtone of anti-Semitism associated with the McCarthy movement with the McCarran movement, 
with the Father Coughlin movement because it all was coming out of the same rut, which was the anti-Semitism of the Catholic Church. And this is kind of a, res- a reverse-ism uh, because, I, you know, I'm, I'm not clear if McCarthy was an anti-Semite or not, but the Jewish intellectuals of his time, many of whom were far left, possibly even communist, and had very dominant spots in media, as they do today, attacked him viciously because they believed he was an anti-Semite, and they be- and they believed that he was a threat to their continued power in the society. And they had enough juice to get the job done. This guy was crushed. And, you know, if you look around and read around, he's not thought of very positively from a historical perspective. But listen to what he said. He said the Democrat Party is the party of communism. And it is. And it is. It just is. Now, you can call it whatever you want. You can rebrand it. You can call it progressivism. You can call it liberalism. If it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's a duck, isn't it? So does it matter if we call it an ism, communism? Remember, these people don't care what, I'm not talking about the Democrat. I'm talking about the people who pays the Democrat to be a Democrat. That same person paid the Nazi to be Nazis. He pays the Republicans to be Republicans. The money that runs this deal does not care what political philosophy they use to maintain their business model of slavery and drugs and piracy. That's why the pleas for unity, to unify around what? Unify around a political economy that parasitizes the people? I don't think so. We're done with that now. We're done with it. And if it ends up that the whole thing goes to mush because of it, okay. What's it? As President as President Trump said, hey, what do we got to lose? I mean, you know, on this road, it's you know slavery, drugs, and piracy. On this road, it might be defeat. Okay, you you lose either way. Either way, you lose. There's only this other road, the road less traveled, the road of human well-being. That's the road we're trying to get to. That's the road that matters. That's the news that matters. So what we're doing here, in my opinion, is trying to get the party really about humanity. And you can't be about human well-being if you hate humans, right? I mean, if you hate black people or you hate Jews or you hate homosexuals, even if you hate transgenders, if you hate these, if you hate these people, you're not really on the well-being train. And if we get on the well-being train, a lot of these problems are going to just take care of themselves. We're going to need to understand this. I've come to understand it. I don't know how I got to it. Maybe you're there. Maybe you're way ahead of me on this thing. I hope that you are. I hope that you are. And I'm going to end with this uh, little conversation about uh, The Wizard of Oz. The Wizard of Oz was a great movie, the first colored movie. I mean, colored isn't, I don't mean colored like I'm talking racially. I mean, it was, it was in color. Excuse me, I laugh at myself sometimes. But it really talked about three qualities, right? The lion was seeking courage. 
right? Remember? The scarecrow it was it was courage, it was a heart, and it was wisdom. The scarecrow was was seeking wisdom. Right? The lion needed courage. The scarecrow seeking wisdom. And the tin man, he was tin. He was seeking a heart. And those are the three attributes we need to be well. We have to be wise. We have to have courage. We have to have heart. We have to have feelings. Talking about feelings. Feelings. So that's a great movie about those characters discovering those qualities in themselves. It was split like mind, body, and spirit. It's actually a unity. All of us need to develop our wisdom. All of us need to develop our feelings. And all of us need to have the courage to do so. And that's everything there is to know in that beautiful movie, the first color movie. So it's embodied in much of the document and in much of the songs and legends that underlie our country. And I, we're not going to do this every time. But I want to just play the Star Spangled Banner today just because it's the home of the, the brave and the free, the brave, the courage part, the courage part, the courage to throw off this business model and to throw off its vestiges that live inside me. It only works if the evil is in me. When I give up that evil, it doesn't live in me anymore. It diminishes in its volume. Each individual American citizen needs to participate if we're going to defeat this evil by expanding the good within them. Tanner, can you take us out with the Star Spangled Banner? Thank you all. I'll see you very soon again. And thanks for your time.